If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It's podcast time. It's the Thursday podcast. We're just recovering from Halloween. John, how was your Halloween? I got lots of apples and nuts. Did you? Do you remember we used to go around to the, the houses? Any I, apples or nuts? Yeah, I know. It did, then they became, became all American, became trick-or-treat. You know, we were the meanest people. We forgot to get sweets. So Shan and I were hiding in here in the dark on Halloween night. We were like Scrooge, the pair of us. We'd forgotten completely about it. We went for a pint <laughs> in Arthur's. That's what happened. <laughs> and it became a few. And I was supposed to go up to Tesco's to do the shopping. But I kind of forgot. <laughs> and then I came home and I was roared at for being Scrooge. Do you know it's that kind of information flies around the, the neighborhood? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, don't go to that house. Oh, yeah. They're, they're Scrooges or defo go to this one. They got Mars bars. They've got Mars <laughs> Twixes and things. Anyway, it was all good and it's all good. And of course, we're, we're still in the middle of this big cup or cup on 22 yeah. thing and the the... With lots of people copping out, like Turkey, China, yeah, Russia. They're, they're not turning up. They're not turning up at all. But it, it was an interesting one. That the, the the fact that the Turks didn't turn up. What? what why do you think that? Well, is? Well, you know, all dictators. I mean, Turkey is going through a really weird period with its economy because the currency has collapsed and inflation is taking off. It's very, very rare that you get a bout of serious inflation without some political tremors. And I would say that Erdogan doesn't particularly want to. Do you reckon? They don't want to leave the country. You know, they, they, the Turks had a coup mm. five years ago. Yeah, but he crushed that. He crushed it, but it's still... And, and everyone went to jail, hundreds of thousands of Yeah, but people. I, I, still, I would still think that, you know, going on a jolly to Scotland or staying at home if you're worried about yeah. how safe or secure your regime is, you don't go anywhere, you know? so. But I, I do think it, it's, it's fascinating because it, it brings us on to this whole discussion <laughs> of climate change, sustainability, the whole thing. And this podcast, we're going to talk about Vikings, John. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about the Viking civilization in Greenland. 
But before we talk about the climate, just want to flag one thing. On the issue of inflation, there is now a lot of moves afoot in financial markets to try and second guess where the Fed is going to go on interest rates. Oh, right. Okay. There is a real sense that now the markets think that the Fed is what they would call behind the curve, has been far too sanguine on inflation, and now will have to raise interest rates. Now, the reason this is extremely interesting is it marks the end of a major, major financial cycle, which was the low interest rate COVID financial which cycle. Which has been running for how many years? Well, the low interest rate cycle has been running since about 2008. Yeah. And then, of course, it got a second shot in the arm with COVID. Mm. And there is a significant fear that there are so many companies are overborrowed, over leveraged, all that sort of stuff. But if interest rates were to rise because inflation is rising, and because that rise in inflation is not transitory, then you would see a bear market quite soon yeah. as stocks and bonds sell off. So it's quite an interesting idea. And then it will be interesting to see what happens to all these other effervescent sort of things which have emerged as a result of or facilitated by zero interest rates. Yeah, I was going like to say- Like non-fungible tokens, like Bitcoin, like all these things yeah. which are of themselves functions of very low interest rates because- when there is low interest rates, the cost of being wrong in investing is zero. Right. Yeah, so you can yeah, actually yeah, take a punt on all sorts of things. Also housing markets. So a lot will be riding on the next couple of weeks. What I think we're going to do maybe next week is have a deeper discussion on this and what people actually think is going on. Right. My own sense is still back to the toothpaste idea that it's coagulated at the top. There are still basically the economy that is trying to get back to normal after a year and a half of being put to sleep is full of what they would call you know, supply chain bottlenecks. And as that plays out, inflation will come back down because I don't there's any huge pricing pressure. But you could be wrong. And if you're wrong, there's a huge amount of financial capital invested in low interest rates. And if that were to change over the course of the next couple of years, then we would get a huge shock to the financial system, which... Uh, I think most people are not prepared for because unlike the other shocks to the financial system, which usually came after a boom, this will be a shock coming after a pandemic, which will be a completely different kettle of fish. But it's interesting you, you talk about inflation there. I, on your mate, Nassim Talib, yep. who you're meeting next week? I'm actually meeting in a fish joint in Beirut, in Saturday fish. night at eight o'clock. That sounds really dodgy. Yeah, it is. He said it's a hole in the wall. He said, uh, he says, it's my city. He says, you've all sorts of places you can go. But he said, it's a bit like, you know, if somebody comes to Dunleary, you know, with no where to take them. Yeah. So he said, I'm eating this fish joint and we'll have a natter. But what, what was he saying? Well, he, there's two tweets, actually, that are that I, I'd like your, your take on. The first tweet is, friends, he says, mm -hmm. hyperinflation seems to exist in the minds of the noise-prone people on social media than in the numbers. Number one, commodities. The CRB is lower than it was in 2014 and way lower, 50%, than in 2007. And the second point was shipping. The Baltic Dry Index is 60% below 2007. So they're yeah. just local disruptions, he's saying. What he's saying is, and, and this is what I believe as well, that the hyperinflation, so basically there's, there's a narrative amongst certain people which has been as I would say, comically wrong for the last 14 years. Right. Which was that 
in 2008 when the Fed started what they called QE, right? And QE was in effect a cash for trash scheme. Yeah. Okay. The Fed said to the banks, you've got all this trash in your balance sheet, okay? All this subprime loans, all this yeah. stuff, right? QE being quantitative, quantitative easing, easing, right? Yeah. So they so they said, look, we'll give you cash, you give us that trash, and we'll fix your balance sheet. Mm. Now, very unsophisticated economic thinkers who equate the money supply to the rate of inflation and only that, which is something that monetarism was based on and monetarism was never right. Ever, okay? Mm. Uh, they said, oh, well, ergo, the Fed is printing money. There's going to be inflation around the corner, right? They have been comically wrong for the last 10 years. Why? Because there's so much more going on. So, for example, you think of the huge, huge advances in technology. Technology and technological advances are deflationary because they do is they take out the middleman. So they take out the area where inflation can be generated, right? Right, okay. So if you take, for example... Podcasts, right? Take podcasts. Are podcasts more popular now than radio? No. Are they getting popular? Yeah. Are they a much more cost-effective way of broadcasting? Yes. Mm. So the technology that makes podcasts possible has a deflationary impact on the media landscape gotcha. in general. Yeah. yeah. And that's happening everywhere, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is pricing power of labor, as in people's ability to push up wages was completely undermined by the recession after 2008. So it's only now that we're getting to a situation where actual wages can rise, simply because there was a huge surplus of labor yeah. with lots of unemployed people. And also, it's the fact the way in which the economy used to work in the 70s, which lots of people say, we're going back to the 70s, was very much was a thing called you know uh, beer and sandwiches, which is the way the UK used to work, which is the trade unions came in to the government, they had beer and sandwiches. They'd have beer and they'd have a sample and they'd say, this is how we're going to do it. So, uh, and we're going to push up wages, all that sort of stuff. So what Nassim is saying is the deflationary pressures that are very evident in things like shipping and very, very evident in, in commodities are inconsistent with this idea that there's going to be hyperinflation because if there was going to be hyperinflation, everything that was real would go up in price, not down, yeah. right? So I, I agree with them. I, I think that in the far corners of the fetishized mind of the extreme Bitcoiners, there is an incipient Mad Max apocalyptic scenario where fiat currencies become hyperinflation. Yeah. We basically repeat what happened in Germany. But that said, they have a point in countries like Turkey. They have a point in countries like Argentina. Yeah. So there are nodes of really delinquent monetary behavior, which is leading to supply shocks, which is leading to increases in prices. That's, there's no doubt of that. Right. But the idea that the United States is going to cascade into a downward spiral of hyperinflation, but is Zimbabwe-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is that is that the reason why the Fed is considering upping no. the interest rates? The Fed is just now to considering... To head it off at the pass, as it were. Yeah, it's no, because it's not worried about hyperinflation. What it's just thinking is it doesn't want to get... It doesn't want to be what they would call behind inflation. So they don't want to be keeping catching up with inflation. Right. What they're just saying is, look, if inflation is going to be at 4% or even 5%, right, that's kind of inconsistent with interest rates at 0 or 1%, right? So we have to, because if you think the rate of interest is the price of money, mm. you think about it internally. So the internal price of money is the interest rate, external price of money is your exchange rate. Just imagine that. As yeah. Well, right? Right. So if, for example, the rate of inflation is rising, and if the rate of interest is way below it, it means the real rate of interest is negative. 
Now that therefore penalizes savers. Everybody who wants to save yeah. is thinking, well, why should I save now? Because my actual savings are depleting in the bank. Yeah. So what you always want is to have a situation where in a normalized economy, the real rate of interest is slightly positive. So it gives money to savers, but it doesn't overly penalize those who would like to borrow to invest and to actually form new companies and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And basically the Fed needs to try and claw inflation back a little bit and maybe push interest rates up a little bit. So the real rate becomes constant. Now, what that will demand is that nominal interest rates, which are the actual, forget inflation, the actual rate of interest rate go up a wee bit. Now, what people are worried about is the following, that the economy is so heavily leveraged that at a certain stage, even if you increase interest rates by a small amount, this will have a profound psychological impact on over-borrowed and over-debted companies. Right. And they will default, or they will go towards default, and you will get what we found in 2008, which is this contagion, that every asset has been backed by another asset, been backed by another asset, and ultimately, that's the fear, right? But the idea that you're going to get hyperinflation presided over by the Fed, the reason the Germans had hyperinflation, so let's come back to Germany yeah, yeah, in 1923. Yeah, the reason the Germans had hyperinflation was not just because they printed currency. It was because of reparations. So reparations, basically the Brits and the French, the French in particular, insisted on reparations against the Germans after the Second World War. Yeah. First World War, sorry. The Americans were less angsty about it, right? And you can understand the French really wanted to punish the Germans because yeah. the Germans had really destroyed France, right? But as Keynes argued in economic consequences of the peace, which was his first big economics sort of tome. He said, if you say to the Germans, you can produce, let's say, 100 units of whatever, right? Yeah. Steel. Yeah. But you've got to give us 20 units of the steel. You can't sell it. You've got to give this to us in reparations. What happens is the German supply chain will actually not be able to generate the amount of goods that the German economy demands. Why? Because you're taking a big chunk of German supply and you're giving it to France. Yes. Right? Yeah, so yeah. this is what actually happened. So the Germans consistently weren't producing enough stuff for their people to buy. And therefore you get this idea of too much money chasing too few goods. Yeah. Why? Because a big chunk of German industrial capacity was being given to France and Britain in terms of reparations. So it had baked in was a crisis. Right. Okay. It were, and it started as a current account crisis, then it started as an inflation crisis, then it started as a currency crisis, and it all came together. Right. But that idea that that would be repeated in the United States in 2022, yeah. 2025, even looking forward, is bizarre because it's kind of counterfactual without the facts, if you see what I mean. Right. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, so then we're back to this idea of is there a consistent relationship between the quantity of money, which is called the quantity of money theory, right, and the price? Unfortunately, for those who still believe in monetarism, it has been lamentably wrong in the last 12 years. So you have to then throw in technical progress, you have to throw in emerging markets, you have to throw in supply chains, you can throw in labor markets, all taken uh, yeah. together. And throw I, in reality, you mean? Throw in reality, yeah. Get out of the get out of the lab. The lab. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this is the this is the idea of what I call blackboard economics. Like blackboard economics sounds great in universities, mm. but if it isn't a story that is according with reality, it's pointless. Well, then the problem is the blackboard economists say, "Well, reality is wrong." 
<laughs> it's like the theory is right, but the reality is wrong. And, you, and that's where you end up, yeah. you know, where you end up intellectually and honestly in, in, a, in a type of a cul-de-sac of your own theoretical making and you become irrelevant. So I think that anyone who bases their end point of any discussion in economics on apocalypse yeah. would want to be really sure it's going to happen, right? So for example, years ago, even in the housing market here, you know, I, I felt in my bones, you know, this is going to crash. But it took a long time. Yeah. I mean, it did eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's lots of people who said, well, you know what, I listened to you, this wouldn't have happened. You know, I mean, it did eventually. So you, you can't cloak your entire worldview on impending apocalypse that you can't also pinpoint. You've got to say, look, this could happen. And if that does happen, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. But you can't. And these are the indicators. These are indicators. And look at these things and, and keep watching them, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would be uh, in line with... Uh, Nassim on that view about hyperinflation. Yeah. But notwithstanding that, there are countries uh, which are experiencing something close to hyperinflation. Now, Pakistan is one. These are big, big countries. Pakistan, really? Pakistan's one. Turkey is another one. Uh, Argentina is just a perennial hyperinflation. Yeah, it's been just, like forever. Yeah, forever. Uh, so much so that you can't buy any real assets with Argentinian pesos in Argentina. Yeah. Like if you were going to buy a house, you buy it in dollars. The trade is done in dollars. So, 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 would would Argentina be a good place to invest in then? Now? Uh, I'll tell you stories off air about my many fantastically, lamentably deluded investment strategies in Argentina <laughs> over the years. Uh, well, as, we'll, we'll have that as, as a Christmas special. As maybe. a friend, an Argentinian friend of mine said, said to me about Argentina, he says, "Man, he said, come to Argentina, watch the football, drink the wine, have fun." Okay. Yeah. He said, "Don't." Don't even dare put money in here. He says, because we'll gobble you up. He says, we can't help ourselves. It just, it's, it is what it is, right? And, uh, and he was right. right. He was absolutely right. But, uh, but doesn't mean that we shouldn't do a podcast from Argentina. Well, that's <laughs> always the aim of the game here. So let us leave Argentina inflation. Well, I want to come back to climate change. Next week, we're going to get somebody off in the States to talk to us about the Fed, what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, what it means for the dollar, what it means for the bond market, what it means for the stock market, what it means for the housing market. We're going to just have a deep discussion on the States. Great. But let's now go to the Vikings. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So Mac, the Vikings. We're all half Viking. We are all half Vikings. I think most red-haired people around here. Yeah, that's are why I felt so at home when I went to Norway. Exactly. I was amongst my people. Were you in Norway? Yeah, yeah. Did I tell you about that? No, never. Not once. <laughs> was it nice? What's your story no, no, on the Vikings? Okay, no, what I find fascinating is somebody who can put really interesting altitude onto an argument, and one of those people is a guy called Jared Diamond. Now, you might have remembered I did an interview with Jared Diamond in the Mansion House last Mansion year. House, yes, that and was brilliant. He wrote a fantastic book called Guns, Germs and Steel, one of the best sort of histories of the hum- human race I've ever mm. read, and economics, technology, whatever. He also wrote a book, which I don't know if it was as celebrated, but it's an amazing one, called Collapse, Why Civilizations Choose to Become Extinct. What do you right. mean choose? Now, that's the interesting, the word choose. Yeah that the choices civilizations make are actually the reason they come extinct. So basically what happened was over the years, you remember in, in Yucatan and all over Mexico, Honduras, yeah. what they used to call Mesoamerica, the Spaniards arrived in and didn't actually conquer huge parts of territory, right? And they left lots and lots of parts of it, you know, simply to go wild. And then in the 19th century, in the 18th century, explorers started to discover these enormous cities in the middle of the jungle, abandoned cities, yeah. you know, with huge pyramids. Now, I've been, in, I've been at two of them, right? One of them is called Chichen Itza, which is in Yucatan. Yeah. And it is extraordinary. It's an entire Mayan city. And it has this huge pyramids, phenomenal infrastructure. And the other place I was, was in a place called Copan, which is a city in Honduras, which was another amazing Mayan ruin that was in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. So people come across and they say, what happened to these people? Yeah. The same question goes to the people on Easter Island. You know, Easter Island in the Pacific. Yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah. again, the Brits arrived up and they saw all these huge heads, which were actually carved out by a real civilization, but no evidence of people. Yeah. Like the kind of Mary Celeste idea, right? Yeah. What happened to the people? And what he's saying in, in, in this book, Collapse, and this is what I drew from in, in something I was thinking of the other day, right? Was that environmental degradation, is the key to the collapse of these civilizations, okay? Because environmental degradation leads to war, yeah. leads to the accumulation of resources by one tribe, leads to starvation. Yeah. So in the Easter Island case, it was, you know, the people of Easter Island, because the expansion of Polynesian tribes by tiny canoes yeah. into the Pacific is one of the most amazing stories. Yeah, they're of extraordinary human people, actually. They're five, 6,000 miles, like, yeah. in canoes. Really mad, right? And this was an incredible civilization before the British came, right? That was interlinking huge amount of trade between them all. Anyway, but the most remote of them 
was Easter Island, Easter Island which is yeah. now a Chilean overseas territory because it's yeah. so far away. Yeah. So it's closer to Chile than it is to New Zealand. Yeah, well, okay? we, but that's still 2,000 miles from so, Chile. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's yeah. miles away. Yeah. And of course, the idea is what happened to these people and what actually happened to the people is that, and it's related to the big heads, right? Yeah. Is that they went on a sort of a kind of willy-waving competition of which chief of which part of the island could create the biggest head, right? Yeah. But in order to get the heads... From the quarry to where they wanted to, to they, they always wanted them on, on, on kind of outposts so they were looking at it at sea, right? Yeah. They had to roll them. And how they rolled them was they cut down all the trees to roll the big heads. And once they cut down all the trees, the soil became unbelievably difficult to, first of all, to sustain. And yeah, it, just, it, it blows away. It just erodes. And they starve to death. Yeah. And the evidence is, the extraordinary evidence is they ended up in cannibals. The people ate themselves. Right. Yeah. That's so, for, we know that from carbon dating and from all yeah. sorts of things, right? So we know that the last meal that an Eastern Easter Islander had was his or her own children. Yeah. And of course, Which is the, the extraordinary. Other, yeah. And the other thing is, because the, the obvious question is, well, why didn't they just leave? Because they cut down the trees. So they, they couldn't, couldn't leave. His point, his point, Jared Diamond's point is, if you think the world, if we're on our own here, that this world, this is it. There's nothing out there. Mm. If we destroy our environment, we destroy ourselves. And this world could end up like this. Because if you think of the great history of dinosaurs and everything, you know, civilizations come and go. Species come and go. Extinction is a fact. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah. a fact. So Diamond then says, okay, let's look around at other examples. And the one that really caught my eye was the example of the Viking civilization in Greenland, which lasted for 400 years, yeah. was healthy for 400 years, was very vibrant. They gave us sagas, books, the vast majority of ivory that was used in Europe in the great pre-Reformation building of cathedrals was from Greenland, from walrus tusks, right? Right, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. they couldn't get ivory from Africa, from elephants, because the trade lights had been, had been for example, the Ottomans had come around and said, you're not, you're not having any of that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So extraordinary thing. He said, let's have a look at this civilization. And for Irish people, this is fascinating because we're part of the story, right? And the reason we're part of the story is that the Vikings used Irish slaves, particularly Irish girls, yeah. as these were big. But this, this started in around the 800s, wasn't it? It did. And so this, so why, why then? Why, why did it start yeah, then? Yeah, so, so you always think of what happened around the 800s to force Norsemen, the Vikings, yeah. out of Norway. What was actually happening? Charlemagne was in power. Charlemagne was in power, but the Norsemen were all kind of really far away, yeah. right? And you know, these, are, these are people who'd, who'd, who'd never even seen the Romans. Yeah. If you think about it, so this is a different, different civilization, but a very extraordinarily rich civilization, yeah. right? But what happened was, what you see around 800, between 800 and 850, all around the time, at the time the, the Vikings emerged out of Scandinavia yeah. and started to ransack all over the place, right? What you realize is that there's one huge technological innovation that emerges at the time. And that's why I always believe that technology, you know, is so crucial to understanding the world. Yes. And that technological innovation was the plow. It was called the metal plow, the deep metal plow. Right. So up until then, Europeans had been using what they call the Roman plow. And the Roman plow was something that had been invented years and years ago in Persia, before the Romans, the Greeks used it. But it was a, it was a wooden plow. It was great at 
plowing very, very dry fields. Yeah. As in Mediterranean fields. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Once you start getting up to North Western Europe with the cold and the wind and the rain, the soil becomes really, really mucky. So it doesn't dry out. Yeah. So what happens is those plows broke. Okay, when they went, when they tried, and they to couldn't put, get deep enough. Can't either. get deep enough. Yeah. So, so therefore, agricultural yields in northwestern Europe, between the end of the Roman Empire and about eight hundred, were very, very low. Yeah. When agricultural yields are very, very low, it means your population is very, very low. So, in the Dark Ages, they were very dark because there weren't that many of us knocking around, yeah, right? Yeah. Because we couldn't feed ourselves. So then you get the emergence. I think that this plow started in Hungary, but where it made its most significant difference was in Ireland, Britain, Scandinavia, right? Because what happened was once this metal plow was begun to be used, huge tracts of previously unfertilizable land became available. So what we did was we started to burn huge amounts of woodland yeah. to actually create this agricultural economy up here. And what happened in Scandinavia, in Denmark, and Sweden, uh, uh, and Norway, the plow had a profound effect on population because suddenly the yields started to go up. So they had more kids yeah, and more kids survived. But the problem with the population dynamic, as we saw, for example, in the famine in Ireland, is yeah. it can get ahead of you very, yeah, very yeah, quickly. Because yeah. land is still limited. Land it's is still, still limited. limited land. So they had to, there was a population explosion yeah. in Scandinavia as a result of the plough. And that always prompts emigration. So it wasn't that the Vikings were just this barbaric bunch of terrorists. Yeah. They were also people emigrating, looking for other land. You know, there was also... They, they were like the Elon Musks of their day. They were like the Elon Musks. They used to smoke... <laughs> they sit there smoking joints with your man. What's his name? Joe Rogan. Yeah. Contemplating life. Yeah, and so but they were actually the very... Spaceship. They were actually really into mushrooms as well. You know that? Magic mushrooms? Yeah. yeah. Vikings loved a mushroom. Yeah. They loved a mushroom, right? And uh, they used to like... It would be such crack back then. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, as long as you... But if they, instead of building a, a spaceship, they were building... Settlements. Long ships. Long ships. And they were... And those long ships were extraordinary because they could do two things, right? One is they could carry lots of them. But because they were actually very shallow hulls, yeah. they could actually land on sandy beaches. And they could scared, go up rivers. That was the other scared thing. scared the shite out of everybody. Yeah. There's a great English king called... Ethelwood the Unready. Yes. Ethelwood the Unready had a thing called Dangelt. Did I ever tell you about this? Go on, and go so on. what happened was every every summer the Vikings would come across from Denmark and Norway yeah. and scared be Jesus at Port the Brits, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and knock around Scotland and yeah. come around here. They're, they're the Angles. Yeah, yeah. So Ethelwood the Unready said he was going to issue a tax called Dangelt, which means Danish money. Right. In old English, right? right, right. And it, they all, everyone thinks it's King Canute. It's not King Canute. It's Ethelwood. And he used to go into the wash. You know that part of England that looks like an arse? Yeah. You know that <laughs> And he'd go in there, right? And he'd start lobbing the money into the sea in order to persuade the sea to change the tides in order not to bring the Norsemen in. So he was trying to persuade the sea and the gods of the sea yeah. to reverse the tides to act against the Norsemen so they wouldn't come in, Right. Now, of course, he was called work. the unready. He should he be was called the gobshite. <laughs> Ethelrod, yeah. the gobshite. the slightly unscientific gobshite. But Dangelt is this idea of a tax, and, and, and it raised huge amounts of tax in England, and it all ended up in, in the North Sea. They all they fucked all the coins into the North Sea, all the gold and brass and copper. But anyway, at the same time, our Viking friends are whoring around the top of Scotland. Yeah, they're setting up Viking colonies in Orkney and Faroe Islands at this yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they're coming down here, and they find this island called Ireland. 
which is full of the most valuable commodities in the world at that time, people. Right. So they said, come here, and they said, okay, commodities trades, right? So I've told you the story about Oxmanstown Road yes. before, right? Yeah, yeah. Stony Batter, where all the hipsters live, right? Yeah. That was actually a Viking colony, that area. Yeah. And because the Vikings split the world into us men, men from the east, who were yeah. them, and west men, men from the west, which was us. Right. So the Oxmanstown Road actually dates, it's amazingly, Dublin's so old, dates from the first Viking colony. Amazing, yeah. Great. And anyway, so they set up a colony in Iceland. Then they set up a colony in Greenland. But the reason they're bringing lots and lots of Irish people with them as slaves is because initially Viking women didn't go with them. They were a bit like the conquistadors in, in Spain. So the Spanish conquistadors never settled oh, okay, in families, right, yeah. right? Which is why the Spanish, well, there's a lot of reasons why Spanish colonialism in Latin America was quite different to, let's say, British colonialism in North America. But one of them was that the Spaniards didn't bring families with them, right? right? So they brought slaves with them. Yeah. And they turned Indian women, indigenous women, into, I mean, it was a, I mean Mexico was a huge brothel for Spaniards. Yeah. yeah. That's what it was. And Ireland was a huge brothel for Vikings, right? Right. And they took Irish women, which is why... You know the Westman Islands, I've told you about that before. The, do you remember there was a huge vo volcano in the 70s in Iceland? Yes. And it was in a place called the Westman Islands. And they're called the Westman Islands because that was a ghetto, an Irish slave ghetto of Westmen, right? And they'd corral them there and then take them to right. Reykjavik and all these places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is also why the, the Irish name Cormac is very popular in Iceland. Yeah, and it doesn't saying, exist yeah. in any Norse sagas. It's an Irish name. So it was Irish women calling their children after the names of their brothers and right. friends in Ireland. Right. So then they go. Amazing. So, so then the Vikings end up in Greenland, right? And the interesting thing in Greenland, you'd think that in Greenland, like, was it a piss take? Do they call it Greenland, right? Because you go yeah. there, anybody who's been to Greenland, I haven't been, but I've seen photographs. It's like tundra and ice and whatever, but it was green. So when the Vikings arrived, the world was much warmer. Yeah. Between 800 and 1300, it was much warmer. It was incredibly green. It was lush pastures. And what really strikes me as fascinating is what happened to the people there because they survived for 400 years, right? And the reason they survived for 400 years, they had one product that was really, really valuable, which was ivory, right? Right. And if you look around the world, particularly the Norman world from about the millennia, so 1000 AD to 1100 AD, yeah. what you see is an explosion of cathedrals. See all these like Notre Dame and all these ones, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was to celebrate the 1,000th anniversary of Christ. We had this huge, big... Oh, okay. We had this massive in Europe, this massive, big sort of crazy religious fanaticism, yeah. right? And this became most evident in the building of huge kind of fuck-off cathedrals, right? Yeah. Notre Dame, Cologne Cathedral, all these ones, right? Okay, there's lots of them in England. Salisbury and... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and a few of them here, Christ Church originally, right? Yeah. Now, what do you need in cathedrals? You need ivory to carve out the altars. Yes. So they look beautiful. They're not marble. No, they lots of them use ivory. Okay. Right? So where do you get where do you get your ivory? Either get it from Africa or the Vikings gave it, got it from walrus tusks. So they did a huge business right. in, in Greenland. So there were about five thousand Vikings up there, thriving away, working the trade routes, you know? Yeah. It's amazing, like shipping across Greenland to Iceland to here, people coming and going all the time. Like we forget that these were really vibrant trading networks, right? Then something happens. Civilization disappears. And the question is what happened around 1300? 1300. So there were there for 400, nearly yeah. 500 years. 
Okay. So that's a long time. That's more than there have been whites in, in North America. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> Think a good about way of it. it actually. Think yeah. about it, right? So this is a long... So what happened to the Viking colony, right? Because what they find is archaeologists found the skull of about a 25-year-old guy. They, they had two massive settlements, two kind of towns, right? And then they had about 250 farms all around southern Greenland. So the question is, what happened? Yeah. What, what story? How did it emerge, right? An archaeologist found a skull of a young guy, about 25 years old, on the floor of a big house in one of these abandoned villages. And they carbon dated it to about 1275. But what was amazing with the archaeologists, they just thought, why wasn't he buried? Yeah. He died, why wasn't he buried? Because there was nobody left to bury. He was the last of them. He died of starvation, oh, right? On his own. Yeah. He died of starvation. Starvation and loneliness. Loneliness. Can you imagine? Right? So why did this happen? Why did the, a culture that thrived for 500 years suddenly, and had links to the rest of the world, yeah. suddenly find itself isolated, starving, freezing, and extinct. And of course, what they've done is they've, the Vikings arrived in Greenland and they brought Viking ideas, European ideas with them. So they wanted to eat meat. So cows, pigs, chickens, yeah. goats, all that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. To do that, they needed pasture. So they cut down all the forests around them to create this really lush, lush pasture. But of course, the problem with the forest is the more forests you're cutting down, if you're not replanting them, you're beginning to deforestate the whole thing, yeah. right? You're defiling the environment. The other thing is they, the Vikings loved iron, right? Mm. This, was their, this was their kind of secret technology against the Inuits, right? And the yeah, interesting yeah. thing is the Inuits survived and the Vikings became extinct. Why? Because in fact, the Inuits bent with nature. They went with nature. Yeah. The Vikings tried to go against nature. So for example... The Vikings also, because they wanted irons, they wanted plows, they would plow the land, they had to smelt pretty rudimentary iron ore up there. Yeah. But the problem is that wood doesn't burn no. hot yeah. enough yeah. Yeah. to yeah. smelt. So you've got to use charcoal. But the relationship between wood to charcoal is four units of wood to one unit of charcoal. So what they were doing is they were burning everything, right? Not unlike us now, yeah. burning fossil fuels. Yeah. They were yeah. burning yeah. fossil fuels, right? But as they burned their fossil fuels their land becomes increasingly, increasingly... In the beginning, it's like paradise because they can burn everything and they can basically say to their people back home, look, there's free land here. It's amazing. The temperature is a little bit dodgy, but yeah. we've got a couple of months of decent yeah. uh, weather so we can live here. So it's good for the livestock. And so more and more of the, of the, the Vikings come over. But as they burn the forests, as they over-cultivate the land the land begins to deplete in terms of resources. So their footprint starts to get smaller and smaller. That's the first warning sign. Mm. Then in 1300, the temperature changes. So there's a, there's a mini ice age, right? So you hear things about people in Dublin skating on the Liffey, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's all very well in Dublin. But if there's a mini ice age and you're that far north, suddenly actually your land becomes unplowable. Yeah, it's, it's encased. It's in, encased, exactly. Yeah. So you get that, right? This, the third thing is you get the Black Death arrives in 13, about 1350, 1360. What the Black Death does is it stops, destroys about one third of the Viking population of Dublin, of Norway, of everywhere, right? Yeah. So there's no one to sail to them. So suddenly people stop sailing right. to them. So they become completely- there's no supply ships. There's no supply. No rescue ships. There's no nothing. There's yeah. no nothing. So you're in a situation where- your land is becoming increasingly less fertile. You're cut off from your hinterland. 
it's getting much colder. It's getting freezing. And in the end, I'm going to read from in the end what they found, right? It said, archaeologists found, archaeologists found a huge amount of wooden objects, nails, cups, hinges, axes, and other valuable materials that would usually be taken by survivors when a village is abandoned. As you would expect, the people would take their possessions with them to go to the next place. Sure. But the Vikings left everything. Why? Because they'd nowhere to go. Because they were all dead. So they didn't abandon their village. They died in their villages. They never moved, right? And then animal bones evidence. This is the, tells a grim story. Foot bones of wild birds and rabbits, normally too small for anyone to be bothered with eating, are everywhere. It's a last-ditch famine food effort. Toe bones of cattle eaten down to the hooves, yes. bones of newborn calves and lambs, even the skeletons of large hunting dogs with knife marks on their bones. Mm. They killed and ate their hunting dogs because they'd given up. Lambs and calves were slaughtered in that spring as they knew, the Vikings knew, they wouldn't survive to see the animals grow. So they killed them all. The people literally starved to death and they froze to death in one particularly vicious spring at the very, very end. Sometime around yeah, yeah, 13, yeah. 80s. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? And so the lesson is, you contrast that with the Inuits yeah, who were also living in Greenland but the Inuits, rather than transplant Irish, British, Scandinavian customs, we want to eat pigs, we want to eat cows, the Inuits said, no, 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 no. We don't do that sort of stuff. We figure out how to live off yeah. nature, right? And, and they survived and they thrived. And there's lots of evidence. So they lived off the seals. Seals and fish and everything. And fish, reindeer, yeah. whatever. And, and they think that even though the Vikings were surrounded by enormous quantities of fish because they looked down their colonial noses at the Eskimos or the Inuits who survived on fish. The Vikings deemed fish to be beneath them. And they never, despite being an amazing maritime nation, they never cultivated because they looked their no down their nose at it, which is that's, phenomenal. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, so the thing is a cultural taboo yeah. because when the Vikings arrived, they did what all colonizers do. They colonized the local people, yeah. and the local people were Inuits. And in the end, because the Vikings ran out of iron because they hadn't got any wood to burn, the end, the Inuits also picked them off. So you have okay. humans yeah, fighting, yeah. and that's what happened to the Mayans as well. That they end up fighting over the resources. So you, now, now think about now, resource wars. Everyone's talking about we're going to fight. We're going to fight over water, yeah. right? Fossil fuel burning, deforestation despoilment of agriculture, hanging on to old ways of doing things yes. because we think something's going to turn up. They were, they were hoping something would turn up as well. Nobody turned up. Yeah. And what you get is the culture chooses extinction. They could have made choices that would have allowed them to live there. Those choices would have been learning from others, from the Inuits, right? But they didn't because they felt superior. And the same way we always hear, oh, well, don't worry, technology will fix the environment or whatever. Mm. So the idea is, and then, of course, they get unlucky, get two pieces of bad luck. First is a mini ice age that happens around 1300. The global temperature drops, yeah, quite opposite to what's happening now. But it's the inverse story of global warming. And ironically, they get a pandemic, which completely shifts the geography and the economics of the area, and they become completely isolated. So it's not that these parallels are definitive, but when you look at the possibility that this planet is simply a colony yeah. with nothing else out there, 
then you do feel like this the Vikings. Is just, this is a scaled up version. This of, is a scaled up of version. the Mayans, of the Vikings, of the Eastern Islanders. Yeah, of all these civilizations that thrived, had extraordinary periods of culture and art and all this sort of stuff, and then just disappeared. Yeah, and they disappeared because of environmental degradation. So, John, I mean, look, this is the story, right? So, first of all, every time you're walking around Oxmanstown Road, going to a hipster bar, yeah. think stroking my beard, stroking your beard, yes, exactly. Think in your check shirt, okay? <laughs> think of the people who lived there in the beginning. And who were they, and what were they doing here, right? Yeah. And think of all the hundreds of thousands of Irish people who came and went as slaves. It's an amazing story to Iceland, to Greenland, yeah. to Norway, all these places, right? But the moral of the story is the following, that this is a microcosm of what could happen to the planet because there is nowhere else to go. Yes, yes. There is nowhere else to go. We, we, this, this planet is the only thing we know. And there is a very, very good chance, remember we heard Edge and Brian Cox talking about this, Yeah. that this is it, Yeah. that there aren't planets out there, that there isn't an alternative. And, and the thing is, like the Vikings in... Greenland, we haven't fully grasped how to use this planet properly. Well, we, and we know how to abuse it properly. Yes. That's the thing. Yeah. So the moral of the story is think, we burn fossil fuels, they burn fossil fuels. We suffer from climate change, they suffer from climate change. Yeah. We think that something's going to turn up, they thought that something's going to turn up. We are entrenched in our customs and our habits and say, I can't do that, I'm right? They likewise were entrenched in their customs yes. and our habits. Yeah. And in the end, you're only as good as what you can grow around you. And we haven't figured out a better way of ingesting energy. So if we destroy the land and the environment, we destroy ourselves. And the parallels are there. I mean, evolution is about survival. Yeah. And evolution is about three things, usually. It's about you start with diversity, you get specialization, and you reproduce that specialization. And that's what survives, those yes. three things, right? Yeah, yeah. So in the same way that evolution is a battle for survival, life is a battle for survival. And you choose either rightly or wrongly. If you choose wrongly, as we are doing now, and the Vikings did then, the end is pretty explicit how it's going to end. The writing's on the wall. So if you choose properly and say you listen to the earth and you say, okay, now we're listening, now we're going to change, you can avert the catastrophe. But if you don't change... Then the catastrophe, the apocalypse, is baked in. That's an upbeat end. <laughs> Thanks again to all our Patreons. And of course, on Patreon, you get ad-free, you get the course, you get AdMax. And the course is a 14-lecture tour around the world of money, past, present, future, the whole thing. You get the notes, you get the reading list, all that. It's all on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. 